Thanks for being here at our second service. This is, um, you know, I, I was telling the first service, it's a little emotional shifting things around. And I think on kind of two different fronts, like so joyful for the growth that's happening in our church. It's been really, really fun to watch and see. Thank you to all you that are new. Thank you to those who've been coming for a while. It's um, just wonderful to do church and to feel it grow. Um, also, change causes a little bit of trauma, doesn't it? I had like a few texts, like people going like, I'm not okay with this. Like, all right, I'm going to come to this service. But, and you go, it's, I think some of that's like leftovers from COVID, right? They, um, any topic of leadership these days is going to talk about being adaptive. Have you heard of this term, our adaptive capacity? It's our ability to kind of live with change. And for all of us, I think we've been a little bit traumatized. Anything time a change is made, you're like, oh, what does this mean? And um, so anyway, I'm stretching my adaptive capacity today and um, letting you all know it's all going to be okay. But um, thanks for just the way that you guys have responded so well. And um, Fun to see what God is doing. I, I think about this idea. Um, so much of our lives are lived, well, just in a context of, of ongoing change, that we're constantly being stretched in that way, growing in that way. Probably if you're like me, you kind of try to hold on to comfort as much as you can, and yet we have a God who is so faithfully pulling us into new seasons, new challenges, and this is part of our growth. I um, am teaching a class for the first time. It's um, at the seminary where I did my doctorate. I'm teaching a class on leadership and formation, actually, where they intersect. And it's brand new for me. I'm like the new guy in class. I'm trying to figure out Canvas. Are you for, does anybody know, like, teachers that are here? Like, help me. Um, like, figuring out all this back-end stuff. But it's, like, really cool, too. But I was thinking, fall, new season, and thought, well, I'll just go through our syllabus. And we kind of did that last year. But just a reminder, the class that you guys are enrolled in is called Transformation 101, Becoming Like Christ for the Sake of Others. That this, whether you knew it or not, is what you've all signed up for. That um, uh, that we come to church with this in mind. This is this word transformation that Paul has given us. Um, Jesus, if Jesus is teaching often uses the word discipleship, that these kind of two things really are very, very similar in purpose, that it's about what we're becoming, that we are on a journey. Jesus invites us to walk this narrow road, but it's a journey that transforms us as we go. And this idea of transformation is kind of at the heart of just about every single place you point to in Scripture, Paul in Romans 12 has given us kind of what I'm taking as our theme verse for our class here, which is in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This idea for him, he's saying, it's not just becoming like Christ, but it involves some unlearning. There are patterns of this world that all of us have gotten sort of stuck in. Patterns of anxiety and fear, patterns of self-centeredness and greed, patterns of scarcity that have to be unlearned. That we are in God's school teaching us how to love. And Christ is our example, Christ is our model, as it turns out Christ is our instructor in this course. 
That all of us are signed up for transformation and regardless, but transformation towards what? Toward becoming like Christ, but with a mission and a purpose with it for the sake of others. And I love that kind of combination of those two, that we're learning to become like Christ, but not so that we pat ourselves on the back and say, look at me, but so that we can step into what we were designed for as it turns out this abundant life that Jesus is offering, which is one of generosity, one not just of love, but of sacrificial love, one that he's modeling for us. And and today in our class, I thought I would talk about, like looking at the passages that we're studying, talking about how to read our primary text. That we come Sunday after Sunday and we talk about the scriptures, we talk about the Bible. And we do that in a way that is reflective and hopefully in a way that's thoughtful. As I've assigned papers to my students, they've asked, what are you looking for, Jeff, as you're placing the grade? And and I've said, I don't want a synopsis of what you read. Right? You can just get on chat GPT and ask, you know, give me a summary of these chapters. It'll just come up, right? To, to just simply summarize the material I'm not interested in. What I want to hear from you is a reflective reading. How is it intersecting with your life, with your heart? How is it intersecting with the context of your life? That this reflective reading is, is what true learning, where it begins. Sometimes I think, we think if I could just regurgitate all the right answers, right? But, but that's not real education. That might get you an A. I was actually good at that in school. At like holding on to a massive information for the test and then forgetting it all immediately. But like, there's the A, right? But, but you go, this is not, this is not education. It's certainly not transformation. That comes by reflecting, by interacting, even wrestling with questioning, pushing back, and then reading personally, thoughtfully, with a sense of self-awareness. And that's something that I keep nudging the students in this class, saying, be aware as you read what is going on within your own heart. As you listen, as you're challenged by different thoughts, different ideas, what is happening all the way down in your heart? Sometimes we forget, we get stuck on the surface of the thing instead of realizing that the real education happens in the depths. And this is how we learn and grow. It's this kind of opportunity that we have to, as a community, grow together, to wrestle together, to learn together. And my heart is for us as a church that we would just be lifetime learners, that that would become part of our DNA. I remember, I've told you this story before, but I remember as a kid, there was a lady that at our, my um, parents' church who had just turned 80. And the pastor said, give us a bit of wisdom. You know, what do you have to offer us? And she goes, oh gosh, I just have so much left to learn. And I remember as a kid even thinking, oh, that's who I want to be when I get older. I want to still be learning. Now, if you go into my strengths finder, one of my top ones is learner. So I'm wired that way. I'm like curious. I ask questions. I kind of always have. But I think there's something about that ongoing learning that keeps us soft, keeps us open, keeps us humble and thriving. I thought I'd tell a joke this morning, and I have to warn you, it's a joke that kind of 
picks on us a little bit. Are you guys up for that? I, sometimes I think the best humor is a little bit self-deprecating. So, so anyway, here, here's how the joke goes. These three people die on the same day and end up standing at the gates of heaven together. It's a mystic, it's an evangelical, and it's a fundamentalist. And there's Peter. He's kind of ushering them in. He's like, you guys are going to do your entrance interview. Um, Jesus is in the next room. We're going to start with the mystic. And the mystic walks into the room, shuts the door. Fifteen minutes later, he comes out. He's laughing. And he goes, oh, how could I have been so wrong? Turns and he walks into heaven. The evangelicals called next. He goes into the room, shuts the door. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes. An hour later, he comes out and he looks a little shaky. It's like kind of sweaty. And he goes, how can I have been so wrong? And then turns and walks into heaven. Lastly, the fundamentalist comes up and he's got a big old Bible under his arm. It's all marked and everything, bookmarks sticking out. He walks into the room, shuts the door. One hour goes by, two, three Finally, five hours later, door opens. Jesus walks out and he goes, Oh, how could I have been so wrong? <laughs> and, and you know, I, I think this, this relationship to scripture, this relationship to knowledge is such an interesting one, isn't it? That, that I think sometimes we think this class is about having the right answer. If I just have all the answers right, and certainly that's important. Certainly we come in longing for truth. Sometimes I think we get a little bit too obsessed with being right, right? And you see the difference there? There's a posture to it, a softness that we bring in, a humility that we come into this with. But realizing the goal, this goal of transformation, it's, it's not, again, about filling in all the bubbles correctly, it's about this deep work that's being done in our hearts, bringing us to life. I love how in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And the psalmist is, is savoring the law, savoring the Torah, savoring the scriptures. And that word law probably refers there specifically to the first five books of the Old Testament, but that term became used for all of our Old Testament scriptures. And this law is something that he chewed on, he meditated on day and night. And I love this image of this tree and these roots going down deeper, drinking deeply from this water. That you know that that tree is thriving by in season it bearing its fruit as it grows. What a picture to me of the Christian life. What a picture to me of the results that Scripture should be having in our own lives. And here you see this um, kind of slow work that it's doing. The, the work of Scripture has this effect that takes place over time. It's like a slow cooker, maybe. That it simmers and that we savor it. On His law, He meditates day and night. He's like chewing on it. 
He's letting it kind of go down deep into him. And I think this happens when we take our minds, our hearts, and set it on the things that matter most. This becomes kind of our greatest power, really, I think, as human beings, is we have this ability to take our minds and focus it on what we would like. That our attention, it leads directly to a sense of transformation. It shapes our hearts. It shapes what we desire. And so often we live in a world that is constantly vying for that attention. And we have all kinds of distractions that are so easy to go to. But here it's saying that the one who plants himself by the, the stream, that tree is savoring truth, letting it simmer, letting it, as Psalm 119 will say, and we'll look at this later, letting it unfold. Tim Keller tells this story of one of his professors that he, he came to the students and he said, okay, class exercise, I want you to take this one verse I want you to sit with it for 30 minutes. And I want you to write down 50 observations that you have of this one verse. And he was saying, most of them, like five minutes in, are like, God, I think that's it, right? But they, they sat there and they were patient and slowly, little by little, they kept writing, oh, I noticed this, I noticed this, I noticed this. And this professor, when he called the students back, he said, all right, give me the most life-changing thing you discovered in that verse. And one by one, they started sharing and going around the room. And then the professor wisely, curiously said, how far into your time did that realization hit you? Is it in the first five minutes? No hands. Second five? No. 15 minutes? 20 minutes? No. 25 minutes and all the hands went up. And to me, this is a picture of how Scripture is, is we're being invited to read it. To meditate on it is to savor it, to let it open up, to let it unfold. So often our first reaction is significant and has value, and yet what we find with it is layer after layer that unfold. And I'll tell you this, in my experience, this is such a joyful, joyful process, watching things like this open up. I told you that we've been reading through the lectionary these last few, and what I love about this is it just hands you these passages of Scripture really each day, but every single Sunday as we come to the text, we read the same text that thousands, even millions of Christians are reading this day. And two of those texts that I want to focus on, the first one is in Psalm 119. And these verses 33 through 40, I think, ought to be like a prayer that we pray every time we come to Scripture. The psalmist comes with this expectancy. And he says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. And the writer of Psalm 119, we don't know who this is. Um, there's a few different theories, but we know this about the psalmist of 119. He loves his Bible. 
He savors it. He delights in it. He cherishes it. But what I love in this is he doesn't come to it alone. It's not him in the text. He realizes that there's a, another chair in the room there. So what is his prayer? His prayer is to his teacher, to his shepherd, to his instructor and his guide. Teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes. Confirm it. And in this, I I think such an important reminder to us that as we open the scriptures, we don't go it alone. That, That we have an instructor close at hand. And see, this is what I'm getting at here is that this interactiveness might just be the very heart of what we are here to learn. That we don't come simply for content. We come for transformation, but not simply for transformation, but for intimacy. That as he comes to this scripture and he finds this truth unfolding, he finds himself in relationship with God. And I think about my journey as a Christian, and I've had quite a journey with the scriptures. I I memorized it when I was really young. If I ever quote scripture and it comes out in King James, it's because that was like what I learned when I was a little kid. I still like those verses that come up to mind. So often those were learned by me just as a young child. But I think about as I got older, I remember I read, I memorized this large passage of scripture. My dad gave me a Bible when I had done that. And I loved that Bible. I cherished it. And then pretty soon I like had my highlighter and was like underlining and going through devotions like that. As I got older and kind of moved from the Narnia phase into the like mere Christianity phase, I was like all about apologetics and, you know, building a case and a defense and, um, just loved that side of things. I went to seminary and all of a sudden the complexities, right? You're like, oh wow. You like start seeing, feeling the tension of it, understanding the history of it, seeing misuses of it, understanding how it ties into theology. And so often that creates just more tension. Is it sovereignty or is it free will, right? I don't know. Both, right? You start feeling the scripture pulling against it, understanding how it's intentionally created an opportunity for us to wrestle. That as we do, we get stronger, we get more discerning, more understanding, more wisdom. The longer I'm a believer, I think often the more complex scripture becomes. And yet at the same time, there's a simplicity to it as well. There's a sense of finding God in the midst of it. And it becomes the thing that I cherish most of all. And see, in the wrestling, this is where things truly open up, truly unfold. I love Psalm 119, 130. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. And the truth is, when, when Scripture refers to the Word, it, it's not simply a reference to text or to information. It is this invitation to relationship. In fact, we learn at the beginning of John that the Word is actually a reference to Christ Himself. That the Word is made flesh and comes amongst us. 
But we live with this God who's desiring for us to know Him, and He does it through so many ways, Scripture being one of the most brilliant ways. But that we ultimately have this flesh and blood Christ that we look to as well, and now we have His words unfolding in the pages of Scripture. The gift of those words in the Gospel that we can look at and study and continue to wrestle with. And we have this God that wants so desperately to be found. We've got the creation all around us speaking. Romans tells us of, of the attributes of God in the complexity and the beauty and all that we see in the incredible design of this world. And this world becomes flesh and it walks amongst us and it gives us probably the clearest depiction that we have of God's heart. Seen on the cross, this act of love that event that really like literally splits our calendar in two. And Jesus shows us this love, models this love, but then also simultaneously shows us how to walk. Shows us how to wrestle, shows us how to pray. So we study scripture to understand and to know Jesus so that we might follow in his steps. And what Jesus models, and I think this is where scripture can really get sort of the meat to it, is, is we see Jesus brilliantly modeling obedience. There were moments when Jesus wrestled with his own calling, struggled with it there in the garden with God going, are you sure? I think there's got to be a better way. And then says, but not my will, but your will be done. And we think about Scripture, we see this opportunity for us to wrestle and to struggle and to grow, but also to be challenged. It comes against the parts of us that are too small, and it beckons us to let things go, to trust and to move further in. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This wrestling, this resistance, so often this is where the good work takes place. It's kind of why at the end of every service I offer you these questions to kind of give a nudge. And I'll jokingly say, pick the one that's kind of hardest to read. The one where you're like, oh, okay, I need that. Because scripture is filled with these challenges that go against our old ways of thinking and point out where our minds need more transformation. And our judgment and wrath towards others were commanded to love and respond with compassion. Where we are inclined to hold on to our possessions, we're beckoned to be generous with those things, to live in that sense of freedom. Where we find ourselves considering our needs above others. Scripture prods us to instead consider others as more significant than ourselves. And as we read Scripture, we see it's shaping us in this way, shaping us towards an end that God has in mind for each one of us. What is the goal? Well, in our second text today, this one from Romans 13, Paul gives kind of what 
should be like the, the conclusion to our times reading Scripture. If we enter into Scripture with the prayer of Psalm 119 saying, God, teach me, show me. Romans 13, this comes in and says, here's the point. He says, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What is the goal? What is the end point? What is scripture beckoning us towards? Towards love. That love of our neighbor, the sacrificial laying ourselves down is the point. We know we're on the right path when that is the fruit that our lives bear. That is the fruit of real transformation. Somebody who I've enjoyed reading, just a brilliant theologian, his name is John Stott. Maybe you've heard of him. And and when he passed away, he had a similar sort of response to this lady where um, he, in his last address that he ever gave, he was saying, gosh, you know, I'm finishing up my life feeling like I have more questions than answers. But, but he didn't say that with doubt, but just that, that things had grown larger and deeper. And he said this, and I think it was so simple. He said, I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. And this is the end. I think this is what Paul is getting at when he says that the fulfillment is love, that to live a life of love is to live a life of Christ. And as you read scripture, you start to realize that, that it's alive, it's active. We don't just come simply to the text, that we are experiencing something, we're being shown something. And this is, to me, like the best part of my job, that tomorrow I open up the text for next week. And my favorite talks, if I'm honest, are the ones where I open it up and go, oh gosh, what do I do with this? Right? There's, and this happens, right? You read it and go, I don't even know what that means, right? What is this talking about? I, I don't mean that in like a cold distance. I mean it like, oh wow, there's, there's things here, complexities here that I don't quite comprehend. And, and the reason I say that I like that so much is that I get to like spend a week just sort of chewing on this. And all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, does it mean this? Or does it mean this? And you start looking at other places of scripture and going, oh, I, you start seeing these kind of overlaps. I have a professor that said, God likes to speak in surround sound. You start like listening to your life and going, oh, there it is there. Oh, and there it is over there too. And this thing starts growing and emerging and all of a sudden you're going like, oh my gosh, this is so brilliant. And I think God loves to kind of unveil these mysteries to us. But he's saying you gotta search after it. You gotta come find it. That a God, he, he even sort of playfully, like it says in Isaiah, hides. Like, come here and get it. Come, come after me and find it. And when I think about this process, it's, it's kind of like following a thread. I, um, was talking to Travis and we were talking about preparing 
sermons and I was saying, this is the feeling I get that there's something here and, and I get excited going, oh God, show me, show me what's next. And I was saying, it reminds me of the, the last movie in the Harry Potter series. You know, you probably didn't see that coming, but, um, there's this scene where they show up and they're looking for this item and they don't really know what it is. They show up at Hogwarts and they, they're there with their peers and, and Harry's saying, we've come to find this thing. And they're like, well, what is it? And he's like, we don't know. And well, where is it? Yeah, we don't know that either. He's like, I realize that's not a lot to go on. And his friend says, that's nothing to go on. And they're looking at this and Luna goes, well, there's this like lost diadem of Ravenclaw or something like that. And, and Ron goes, here we go. And there's this moment where all of a sudden they're like, yep, there's the thread. And then they start pulling, right? And following this thing. And so often I think this is what it is like when we read scripture. Oftentimes we show up and we don't even know what the thread is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, there it is. That there's more happening here than just me and the text. There's a third that God's spirit comes in and almost in a whimsical way goes, come this way. And this reality that, that scripture, when it says it's alive, right? We, we treat it as such. We treat it with a sense of expectancy that God's going to find us there. Lewis used to call this like the hound of heaven that would like come after you. And in his book, Miracles, he talks almost confessionally about he wasn't sure he wanted to be found. He, he says, it's always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry. It's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done so myself if I could and proceed no further with Christianity. An, impersonable God, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads. Better still, a formless life force surging through us, a vast power we can tap into, best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband, that is quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, which is man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant for it to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. And I think sometimes we like holding this sort of religion at a distance. But, but what we have is a God who comes seeking after us. In fact, if Jesus is talking about that final scene after the fact, his only prerequisite is, do we know each other? And that scripture becomes this opportunity for us to sit with God and to understand who he is and to realize that he knows us. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And like I said before, when you see this 
at work. There's such joy. I think this is what the psalmist is delighting in as he comes to the law. Not just wisdom, but intimacy. Not just a challenge, but to actually receive God's love in that place. And Paul exclaims this in Romans 11, and it's just, to me, one of the most brilliant exclamations of joy. He's just realized in chapter 11 just how all of us have fallen so short of this and then realizes that the mercies of God have been poured out on us all. And Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So here's my assignments for you this week. In the first, not to create some like rigid legalistic system here, but I'm going to encourage you to spend 30 minutes reading your Bible each day. There's a typo there, sorry. 30 minutes reading your Bible. And it doesn't need to be 30 minutes of straight reading. In fact, maybe it's just take a chunk, take a section. If you have a plan, go with it. But if you need something, we do have the lectionary, kind of the daily readings are there on our app if you want that. But take a chunk of it and just sit with it for 30 minutes. See what you observe in there. Read it thoughtfully. What questions do you have? Is there something new in it? Read it reflectively. Where does this intersect in my own life? Where does it create resistance or conviction? Where do I feel inspired to grow? How is this moving me towards becoming more compassionate? And lastly, read it intimately. What is God wanting to say to you personally today? I just read that Sarah Young, who wrote Jesus Calling, passed away last week. And I think she, in her infirmity, just took a year and each day just wrote down what she felt like God was saying. And it's just so beautifully presented there with scripture that interweaves with what God was saying. But And I love that we can read her book, but I feel like we should all be writing our own. What is God saying to you today? What would I desire to say to him? Let the scripture move you towards prayer and open your eyes to God's living and active presence all around you. This is the assignment. (laughs) Should you choose to accept it? Uh, Would you stand with me? We are going to have food after the service like we do, a chance to just connect, get to know each other. You might even talk through some of these little questions there as you're sitting at the table, but just so grateful to have you guys here with us this morning. I want to leave you as a blessing. If you'd like prayer, feel free to come down and we would love to pray with you. But as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Thanks, you guys.